Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. We have a great show for you today, Dr. Chadi Nabhan, and he was one of the doctors that testified in the Monsanto Roundup trials that were showing and that proved that Roundup-ready weed killer that contains glyphosate causes non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so he was one of the, Dr. Uh, Chadi was one of the uh, oncologists that testified um, in three of the trials. Uh, There was 100,000 plaintiffs uh, overall and just really good uh, podcast today highlighting what happens uh, during these trials uh, what Dr. Chadi learned about um, in these trials as well, what surprised him. We talk about you know what non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is exactly and what kind of other health issues that this Roundup-ready weed killer that contains glyphosate can cause, how pervasive it is in the environment and what's going on right now. You know, what's going on right now as far as, you know, litigation and trials and the future of this Roundup Ready weed killer. And, you know, in 2023, they were supposed to take, uh, you know, make Roundup not available for sale anymore to the public, but it's still available for sale. And so we just touch on a lot of really interesting concepts about the future of of Roundup and, and glyphosate. So check out the show. It's really, really good, really informative. And I know you guys watching this podcast, you're concerned about your your health. You're concerned about how toxins are impacting your health and your toxic load, your body burden of heavy metals and chemicals. And I created a quiz that you can take at heavymetalsquiz.com. Only takes a couple of minutes. And after you get your results, you get a free video series that answers a lot of your frequently asked questions about how to detox, how to go about it. Uh, how long does it take? And I answer a lot of your questions about testing and uh, things of that nature. So go take the quiz, heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, Dr. Chadi Nabhan, uh, he's an MD and an MBA, and he's an award-winning hematologist and a medical oncologist who previously has hosted an award-winning podcast, Outspoken Oncology, which has now been rebranded to Healthcare Unfiltered an honest, raw, timely podcast tackling any and all topics in healthcare with no edits and no filters. It's healthcare unfiltered. So combining his background in clinical care, cancer research, precision medicine, genomics, clinical trials, real world data, controversies in medicine and healthcare advocacy, Dr. Nabhan brings a unique and powerful perspective to current medical events. And in this weekly podcast, you don't want to miss this. So you can learn more about Dr. Nabhan and his work at chadinabhan.com. Dr. Shadi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy, for your invite. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got uh, involved in the Monsanto Roundup trials and, you know, Roundup is uh, one of the active ingredients is glyphosate. So how did you get involved in all that? You know, uh, I never thought I would be involved in any litigation or any uh, trials, frankly, but uh, just for your listeners and viewers, I'm a medical oncologist and a hematologist. So basically, I treat patients who are diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I had a particular interest in, in a, a form of cancer called non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which is a form of cancer that involves the lymph glands and the immune system in the body. 
Um, I was never, I've never testified as an expert witness. I've never been an expert witness uh, previously, but uh, I was contacted by a law firm that was representing patients who were suing Monsanto for uh, the Roundup uh, weed killer. And as you just mentioned, Wendy, Roundup, the main ingredient is glyphosate, which we'll talk about. But uh, they were alleging that the uh, exposure to Roundup led to their diagnosis uh, with non-Hodgkin lymphoma, the form of cancer. So the law firm was asking me whether I would be willing to review the evidence, do some research, and then decide whether I could serve as an expert witness on behalf of their patients. And I always knew that pesticides are linked to non-Hodgkin lymphoma. I've always been taught that. I don't actually remember who was the first person who taught me this when I was in training, but I grew to realize that pesticides are linked to non-Hodgkin lymphoma. I just was not familiar exactly with the data that were specific to Roundup. So I reviewed the evidence, looked at the research, uh, did what I could. I reviewed some documents that the lawyers also sent me uh, that were part of their discovery process uh, as well after I signed some confidentiality agreements. And then um, I became convinced that their link between Roundup and non-Hodgkin lymphoma is strong. And uh, uh, depending on the patients, in some patients, the exposure to Roundup does cause non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Not in all patients, of course. Um, so I agreed to serve as an expert witness in these litigation trials, and I never knew or expected or or even imagined how big these are going to be, to be honest. I mean, this was very big. So that's how it started. Yeah. And, and what was involved in that trial? So how many litigants were involved in that trial? It was a big class action lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of terminologies and legalese when it comes to uh, class action lawsuits versus MDL, which stands for multi-district litigation versus individual lawsuits, all of these things. And I think the legalese probably are less critical for your uh, audience. What is important is that with time, it involved over 100,000 patients. Uh, in the beginning, it wasn't that many, uh, but with time, it came to over 100,000 patients. I testified in the first three trials ever against Monsanto and Roundup. Yeah, and that's incredible. I mean, hundred over 100,000 people uh, were involved in this, and, and that's just people that are coming forward that are having health issues. And it's interesting, when I first met my brother who was given up for adoption, uh, he was a cotton farmer. He was mixing Roundup Ready uh, uh, pesticides or herbicides to put on the cotton crops. He was mixing that when he first called me, <laughs> yeah, which I thought yeah. that was like really interesting with no protective, no protection uh, whatsoever. Well, I mean, the, the, the applicators had no reason to use protection because it, they were told it's very safe, right? I mean, they were told it's very safe. Uh, I mean, they were, they were, there are many patients that were told that they could drink it and it's safe. I mean, this is something that came up during some of the trials, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting you mentioned the Roundup Ready seeds because the use of Roundup as a weed killer, it started in 1974, uh, commercially, became commercially available and it was sold by Monsanto to the public. But in 1995 and 1996, 
that was when the Roundup Ready seeds became available. And these seeds basically allow farmers to, um, to basically uh, plant them and you can spray Roundup on them and you won't damage the harvest. So because they were modified, genetically modified. So, you know, soybean, corn, alfalfa, cotton, and others, like you said, you can spray the weed killer on them. It kills the weeds and it doesn't, it, you still can harvest without any issues. And suddenly the use of Roundup then exponentially increased because people said, well, we can use it. It doesn't really affect anything that we do. But guess who was manufacturing and selling the Roundup Ready Seeds? It's Monsanto, the same company that was selling Roundup. And what is the significance of Roundup in the environment? Like, what is it doing? I mean, it's just everywhere. Um, it's in sprayed in city parks, in the schools, in in the crops. The neighbors are spraying on their lawn, and it's just so pervasive in the environment. What harm has it shown to cause? It is everywhere. It is ubiquitous. Uh, it's very effective weed killer. I mean, obviously, it kills weeds, and that's why people are using it. But we, I don't believe we know fully the impact of Roundup and how commonly it is applied and used on the overall, overall health of everything. So I'm going to give you a few things just to ponder upon and just to think through, maybe provocative. You already alluded to it. It's everywhere. I mean, you already, every single thing that, you know, corn and soybean. So, I mean, in bread, we need corn. In cereal, we need corn. So suddenly you're seeing that all of these that we actually have and consume probably have, were sprayed by Roundup. The impact of Roundup on the environment and on health, in my opinion, this is just my own opinion, is probably a little bit more than just non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Is it possible that Roundup is causing some issues with endocrine disruption that may be leading to infertility? Is it possible that Roundup is linked to autoimmune disease and things beyond cancer and beyond lymphoma? I think it's possible. I don't know that for sure. I did not investigate or research that. Um, so I think it is important to actually take a look, a holistic approach of the impact of Roundup and glyphosate on all things healthcare, not just only on lymphoma. Yes, I mean, because we know that, you know, the glyphosate and other ingredients and Roundup can harm the gut bacteria and absorption yep. of nutrients and shuttle aluminum to our brain and uh, can cause a lot of different, you know, seemingly a lot of different metabolic issues. Even if there's no, you know, current research on these findings, you can look at just the metabolic pathways that it's affecting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think it's important to keep an open mind to the possibility of how this is causing harm. But just for me, I just want to make it, what I did was mainly look at the association between glyphosate and lymphoma and cancer and Roundup. But I agree with you. There's probably additional impact we need to look at and we need to investigate. And look, Wendy, what Monsanto has always relied upon is that the EPA said it's safe. And if the EPA says something is safe, it's coming from God. You can't question it. So they relied on that. And 
you and I know that just because the EPA says something is safe, it does not really mean it is safe because there's a lot of other factors that play a role in how the EPA reaches conclusions. There's political pressure. There's other elements. We probably don't need to go into it, but suffice it to say, just because the EPA says something is good and safe, it does not mean for sure it is good and safe. Yeah, absolutely. And and so how did Monsanto handle the data that showed that glyphosate was linked to cancer? So the data came out in March 2015. Uh, there's an agency called the IARC, which stands for the International, International Agency of Research on Cancer. The IARC, or this agency, is a division of the WHO, the World Health Organization, and they meet frequently, and they basically look at the link between certain materials and compounds that we use commonly and cancer. And this was the permeable 112, I believe, when they looked at glyphosate. So what the IARC does, they actually look at animal studies, whether glyphosate causes um, tumors in animals, they look at mechanistic studies. How does glyphosate affect the cells? Does it cause breakage in the DNA, the chromosomes, things like that? And they look at the epidemiologic studies, which are the human studies. Are there any data to link the compound they are studying to uh, cancer? And what they determined in March 2015, that glyphosate, which is the main ingredient of Roundup, is a probable human carcinogen which means it could cause cancer in some people. Monsanto was well aware that this review was happening by the IARC and the WHO. So as I detail in the book, uh, Toxic Exposure, they actually planned a PR campaign into how do we really counter the information that's going to come out because they kind of predicted what the output of the IARC is going to be. And they had a lot of articles that were in the press as well as in scientific journals. And we found out later that many of these articles were ghostwritten by Monsanto employees and scientists without acknowledgement that they actually were written by them or at least co-written by them. They had different, you know, they did not acknowledge that they were involved in the writing and the content of some of these scientific articles. So... Their, the playbook was, let's have a PR campaign making sure that people really are aware that whatever the IARC said is actually wrong. Let's get some scientific articles in the, in the literature. And they actually uh, utilized the concept that, you know, we need glyphosate and Roundup because it's going to actually help stop the hunger in the world. It's pretty silly. Right. I mean, I think, you know, that, that's I mean, you, you can look a lot of these campaigns and a lot of these commercials. And that's really one of the things that they actually talked about. They also wanted to downplay the science that actually came out by saying, well, if the IARC said it's actually this, it doesn't mean it's that it's actually not correct. It's not accurate. So they really were not. um they, they downplayed and discredited some of the scientists <clears throat> that they actually were involved in the IARC decision. So they had a, they're powerful, they, they have deep pockets, and they had a lot of ways to counter what came out. Yeah, but luckily they did not prevail 
And I, I think it was just uh, a, a, such a huge triumph that the truth prevailed in this trial. And I really, you know, applaud your involvement in this and, and assisting and making that happen. And like in during these trials, what was the most surprising thing that kind of came out of that that really blew you away? So there are certain things that may not be related to the trial that surprised me as a citizen, as an individual that is testifying for the first time as an expert witness, and I'll share that with you. And of course, then there was the scientific piece. So, you know, the first trial was in the summer of 2018. It was Johnson against Monsanto. It was very well publicized. It was all over the news. Uh, Again, it's a big trial. Bayer by then had acquired Monsanto. The deal closed in the spring of 2018, so we're in the process of closing. And I don't think personally Bayer has done a good job in due diligence to understand what's going on with glyphosate. Glyphosate is a multi-billion drug, uh, not drug, multi-billion dollar compound in terms of sales. So they really wanted it and they... I think they paid $63 billion to buy uh, Monsanto. So um, what, what was really interesting to me is that the um, the jury uh, in the first trial was very involved. They really wanted to know what's going on. They really put, you know, again, it went probably for six weeks. They really wanted to understand what is actually happening. They asked, they were allowed to ask questions and they asked very important questions Um, It was interesting to me that not all of the information were allowed to be shown to the jury. So the citizen in me thinks, if I'm a juror and you want my honest opinion, show me everything. Let me see everything so I could come to an informed decision. But it turns out both sides, the plaintiff side and the defense side, they spend enormous amount of time trying to convince the judge what should be allowed into evidence and what should not be allowed. Basically, you know, Monsanto, if they want certain things not allowed, so not to be shown to the jury. And the plaintiff wants certain things to be shown. Everybody is obviously strategizing. And it's interesting to me how these decisions are made. I was not aware that there's so much energy spent to uh, make a decision which which evidence is allowed to be shown versus which evidence that is not allowed to be shown, but it was um, um, it was it was good that the jury was very involved. On a personal level, I was extremely nervous. I did not know what's going to happen. You know, being in that box is very intimidating. Let me tell you. I can only imagine being in that hot seat with a team of the best lawyers on the planet. (laughs) They have George Lombardi, um, the the first lawyer for Monsanto in the Johnson trial. And George Lombardi, um, very famous. He was the one who defended a lot of the tobacco companies. Well, luckily, truth prevailed. Truth prevailed uh, in that trial, for sure. Yes, yes. And and it's uh, I, that was actually very surprising to me because there's been a lot of a lot of things that have happened like in Mexico they you know they ruled to outlaw glyphosate and then all of a sudden now uh somebody was paid off and now it's going to be allowed. So there's just a you know so whatever happened um but it's just there's a lot of ways that Monsanto uh wins or now bear wins and so this was 
you know, a setback for them, hopefully, and more, more people will come forward. Um, so the, the person that won the first case, Johnson, uh, he claimed that his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was caused by glyphosate. Can you simplify what that is exactly for the listeners? Yeah, so non-Hodgkin lymphoma is a form of cancer. It is a cancer that involves the lymph glands uh, and the immune system. What Mr. Johnson had was a form of non-Hodgkin lymphoma is is uh, in the T-cell subtype. So just for your listeners and viewers, without getting into so much complexity and details, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, there are so many types, so many types of it. Um, think of it, let's simplify it, cars, right? All the cars have tires and a piece of metal and they drive. But you've got big cars, small cars, you've got SUVs and sedans. There are so many different types of cars and they have so many different brands of the cars. And then you have the license plates, all of these things. So yes, all the cars have the denominator that they are vehicles that drive, but there are different cars. Non-Hodgkin lymphoma is a term for these cars, and then you have so many different types of cars that actually are involved. So what he had was a T-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma, specifically a disease called mycosis fungoides, which is a cutaneous T-cell lymphoma that usually involves the skin. It actually causes a lot of disfigurements, dryness, scaly skin, and it could sometimes transform into an aggressive entity that involves the internal organs. A lot of times it's just outside in the skin, but sometimes it could go into the internal organs as well. And what Mr. Johnson, what he did for a living, he was a groundskeeper in California. So he was spraying five days a week, every week, and he would spend an entire day, schoolyards, all of these things. And he would use a back back spray and he also had a, uh, uh, like a, a truck as well and he had a couple of incidents where the roundup just came all over his body and and uh, he would wash it off and and when he started seeing the skin lesions he actually called Monsanto he used the number on the roundup and he called and he was basically inquiring whether what he is experiencing is related to roundup and he never got a call back typical typical. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, think at least you get a call back at least. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, I worry about that for my brother as well, who's been using this stuff and trying to get him to, to detox. Um, but, but this stuff is everywhere. I mean, there's, I think there's a reason that one in 1.6 dogs are getting cancer. They're rolling around in the grass. That's it's sprayed in this stuff. Uh, there's so many, like a direct correlation between the increase in the uh, you know, increased use of Roundup-ready glyphosate-containing herbicide and uh, kidney issues and dementia and uh, just different types of cancers and uh, lung health issues. I mean, it just the the correlations are so strong uh, between so many diseases, not just lung non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and other types of cancers, but just so many different types of diseases. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think the investigations into the impact of glyphosate on the overall health and the environment is worthwhile. I, I just don't know. Um, I think that would require government to require lots of um, agencies to really say, look, our goal is to protect the environment and people and animals. And what can we actually do? 
the cynical part of me says that there's always an agenda and I'm not really sure that's ever going to happen. So unfortunately, us consumers, we really need to uh, do sometimes the work and 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 make decisions. And um, I really, like I said, when I first got involved, I did not appreciate how ubiquitous Roundup was in everything that we are doing and the potential impact on health uh, that is actually ongoing. I think human nature, we sometimes get complacent and life gets busy and, and people just don't have time and they rely on other agencies to do the work, which is fine. We should, right? I mean, it's not your job to be the EPA. It's not my job to be the WHO. I mean, we have other things we need to worry about. But unfortunately, um, it's gotten to the point where we need to be advocates to patients and and, and others because um, the institutions that are supposed to do their job, I don't really agree with them. And I've said that on the stand. I think the EPA is wrong, and I do not agree with their stand on glyphosate at all. Yeah, I mean, is this what inspired you to write your book? You wrote a book called Toxic Exposure. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it it may be a little bit of a funny story how I decided to write the book, but uh, um, in the second trial, the Hardiman against Monsanto trial, there was a hearing before the trial called the Daubert hearing. And in that hearing, basically, the judge determines whether you're allowed to testify or not, because both lawyers question the opposing side expert witnesses methodology of how they reached a conclusion. So the opposing attorney, uh, Brian Steckloff, who was representing Monsanto, I was on the stand and he was challenging me. And he was saying, well, Dr. Nabhan, I don't really see you going all over the world and all over the country lecturing on glyphosate and Roundup. You are not teaching students and fellows and other doctors about Roundup and glyphosate. If you indeed believed how bad this is, you would be all over the place making sure you're actually telling people about it. And I did not know I could, actually, because I thought if you are an active expert witness in an ongoing litigation saga, you cannot really do that because of the perceived conflict of interest that people might say. So I told him in front of the judge, I said, I did not know that I could do that from a legal standpoint. And he said, no, yes, you can. And that was a moment where I thought, okay, Monsanto, if I can, I will. But what is really the best way to do that? Because um, if I write something in a scientific journal, it's not going to be easily accessible to people. I mean, when was the last time people really picked up one of our oncology journal, Journal of Clinical Oncology or New England Journal of Medicine to really read something of that? Uh, um, so I decided to write a book. And I wanted to write a book that is to the public. So it is not written in a very heavy medical language or legal language. It's written as a story, what actually happened over these uh, several years, from 2016 when I was contacted until the end of the third trial in 2019. Um, I was inspired by the patients who actually had a lot of perseverance and they were very humble to to really um, withstand Monsanto and their Monsanto's interrogation. I was inspired by the law firms and the legal team that was really putting a lot of uh, money and effort on 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 the uh, on the stand. 
and by my fellow expert witnesses, other experts that testified as well. Uh, I testified, obviously, as a cancer specialist, but there were other folks who were testifying, toxicology and epidemiology and, and others. Uh, but that's really how it started. I thought, how do I reach most people? I think reaching majority of people requires writing something that that is outside of the normal medical literature that they can just go and buy from Amazon or Barnes and Noble, wherever it is, because that's really how it's going to go. I think that's incredible that the the lawyer challenged you and it sparked yeah. something in you to go and be an advocate for. I never forgot that moment. Wendy. <laughs> I mean, it was like. That's what you want? Okay, you got it, buddy. I'm going like, to try to do it. What a great idea. Thank you. Try to do it. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's amazing how the uh maybe the the dark forces, like the darks working for the light in that uh, respect and them challenging you pushed you to to do this this work. And so uh so tell us more about your book like what we'll learn in your book and and what was your goal with the book, etc. So I really I, look, I wanted people to know the story of what actually happened. Because there's, you know, I mean, you can Google glyphosate and Roundup, you get a lot of articles and, and obviously people could be informed. Clearly, you know a lot about it as well. But I think I think there's a lot to the story beyond just random articles that you see. I wanted to write the story of these three trials. There were three major trials. Before 2018, no one ever sued Monsanto for Roundup and cancer ever. There were other lawsuits. We're not going to go there, but but that was the first one. I wanted people to realize, A, the legal aspect of what goes through these clinical trials, but they want to learn it from my lens, not really from the lens of a lawyer. Um, and uh, that's the piece. The second one, the medical aspect, the story of these patients that actually went into trial, the first three trials, who are they? What disease they have? And what they? how did it actually go in the courtroom? The third piece is how I evaluated the evidence. <clears throat> because I am sure you can bring somebody else who can tell you glyphosate is very safe. I mean, we know these people exist, right? I don't agree with them. Obviously, Monsanto identified some that agree with them, and that's who testified in, on, the, on their behalf. But I wanted readers to understand how did I reach the conclusion that Roundup is not as safe as Monsanto portrays? So I, I bring in the evidence and the papers and how I thought about it to reach that conclusion. So there's a lot of that, but in a simplified manner. There's a lot of the medical piece. There's a lot of the legal piece, courtroom drama, depositions, back and forth between me and the lawyers and how things really... I, I wanted the reader to feel like they were in the courtroom as if you are sitting in the courtroom and just watching what actually happened. And there was also a business aspect of this because Bayer bought Monsanto like we talked about. And there were a lot of articles about this uh, in the Wall Street Journal and other outlets. And many of these articles were saying that this was one of the worst business acquisitions that they've ever seen. Because what they did is Bayer acquired Monsanto. They paid $63 billion for this. And their stocks went down by two thirds because now the litigation started and and people were suing um, Monsanto and Bayer. So suddenly they lost a lot of market cap. So they paid a lot of money either way that you're going. And they had to settle towards the end 
for a lot of these uh, trials, not all of the trials, but they settled over 100,000 for a little bit north of $11 billion. Now, Bayer will tell you that they did not admit any guilt. Wendy, if you're paying over $11 billion, you're guilty. If you're that innocent, you're not going to pay $11 billion. Call me crazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But and it's a big price to pay. I mean, I saw that, that, uh, you know, there's this karmic debt they also had to pay with buying this company and their their stock price getting slashed. And I thought, well, that's what you get for it's karma. Yeah, dealing dealing in this uh, the darkness. Um, so, so what is new now with the roundup trials? Are there any updates? Anything else going on? Yeah, a lot of things are going on. I I predict roundup is going to be like the asbestos thing, right? I mean, we all know asbestos is linked to mesothelioma, but still today you can there are lawyers who are representing patients uh, about asbestos. Um, so several things I think worth mentioning. One is that Monsanto did win few trials after these three trials. And I think the reason that happened is because, not because of science, because the lawyers um, or the patients that were suing Monsanto in the trials that Monsanto won um, were not strong cases. Uh, I think it's all about how you litigate a trial Remember, you have to win the jury to win a trial. So there's a lot of strategy, like we talked about, how you really convince the jury is very important. Who you bring to the stand is very important. I did not testify in these trials that Monsanto won uh, as an FYI, but they did win a couple of trials. And then Monsanto became very strategic. So they settled all of these cases, over like 100,000, right? But they kept a few trials that they did not settle where they think they have a chance of winning. And remember, the chance of winning is not always about the science. It's about which state are you in? Which district are you in? Is it more favorable to the defense? Is it more favorable to the plaintiff? What's the jury poll looks like? So for St. Louis, as an example, there's a trial ongoing right now in St. Louis, and Monsanto is litigating that trial, and I did testify in that about two weeks ago. But the, the reason they're doing it, in my opinion, is because it's St. Louis. That's where Monsanto's headquarters were. So they feel they have a chance. And if they win in St. Louis, it's actually great against the same team that they lost against in Hardeman. So they, some trials are still ongoing. That's one. Number two, Bayer had promised that they will remove Roundup from the shelves in 2023 for residential use. So if you're a farmer or a pesticide applicator, you can get access to it. But if you are just want to do it for your lawn, you can't get it. So they promised they want to do it in 2023. I still see it, but I'm waiting. But that is the promise. And they issued that in a press release, which your viewers can see that on their website. And they said, we're doing this just for litigation reasons, not because we're guilty. And the third thing that is going on, which I also mentioned in my book, is that the uh, a court, there's a court ruling that the EPA needs to go back and re-review the evidence. So that is actually was a big win because then the court said to the EPA, we think you did not do a due diligence. There's a lot of emerging evidence that we did not think you incorporated into your decision. 
the EPA was supposed to come up with their final uh, statement uh, towards the end of 2022, but it has not done that so far. So we'll have to see. Um, I have not seen a new EPA uh, issuing. So, you know, it's a lot of things are ongoing. And I think that, um, you know, hopefully, at least the book is a primer to tell people about how we got here, because it just goes through the history. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that, uh, you know, that they did rule that, you know, Home Depot is going to remove, you know, the Roundup from the shelves and they're going to take it off the stores. And that still has yet to transpire. Um, but I think that's a huge one. I think there's millions of people using this stuff, spraying it on their driveway, spraying it in their garden. And they just, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea that it can potentially cause uh, cancer and other health issues. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, I hope that uh, doing things like this, what you are doing, what you're spreading the word and letting people become aware the hope is that this is going to help uh, a lot of folks who may not be aware. Um, um, I think, look, I think ultimately things go down to choice. It's not about, you can never prevent people from always doing the right. I mean, people could choose to do something wrong, right? I mean, we, you know, it's a choice. But you must have all of the information to make that choice, right? So you could go right now to the store and get a pack of cigarettes. I'm not advising you to do that, but you can. You know the risks and you choose to do it regardless of the risks. And I would respect that, although I would differ in the opinion. But ultimately you are well informed. What is very striking in Roundup is that people are not well informed. So, you know, there was a lot of talk about putting a warning label, all of that stuff, and uh, there is no warning label. Uh, Monsanto has refused to do that, and Bayer has refused to do that. And I don't think the, to my knowledge, the uh, law firms have not been able to enforce, or the courts have not forced Monsanto and Bayer to put a warning label around them. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it really is incredible that there's no warning label, but luckily the evidence is mounting about the the toxic effects uh, of Roundup and uh, that, you know, contains glyphosate. And so what can somebody do, say, if they suspect that their illness or their cancer or their health issue may be as a result of their lifelong exposure, or at least the last, you know, 30 years or so, uh, could be the results of, of this exposure. What do you recommend that they do? Well, I think the most important thing is to discuss with their doctor, right? Uh, they need to have a, a doctor that is uh, willing to listen to them. Um, the best thing that doctors could do is listen to their patients. So they have to listen to them and understand what the fear is. And some doctors may not have enough information or knowledge to opine on certain things. So they may have to talk to more than one doctor to know a little bit more. Um, what I did, as I told you, was really looking at the link between glyphosate and Roundup and non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Uh, if there are people who have a different type of cancer and they are suspecting that, um, I, I, it's it's hard to comment on it because there's really not enough studies to look at every single cancer. Most of the studies looked at the link between non-Hodgkin lymphoma and glyphosate. 
Um, I did get actually a, a, a text as an example through my LinkedIn profile from a patient who had a, a, a form of cancer, but is not non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And he was telling me he thinks it's because of Roundup. And I said, I really don't know. I have not really seen that type of data or, or literature. Doesn't mean doesn't exist, right? It just means there's not enough out there about it. So I think talking to the doctors and if they feel that there is a, a lawsuit uh, there that they would like to do, that is, I, I can't comment on that because that's really up to them and their attorneys and things like that. But my advice is always talk to your healthcare provider, healthcare professional, discuss that, ask questions and research. Sometimes you got to do some research on your own. Listen I mean, to your podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking more along the lines of calling your lawyer, calling your personal injury lawyer, uh, because I think there's so many doctors that really aren't informed about toxins and their uh, how they cause health issues and symptoms. And they're just kind of, you know, well-meaning, but just not uh, just not a part of their education or interest, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, actually, Monsanto, what they did throughout the trials, they always said, well, my the treating physicians of these patients never said that Roundup causes caused their illness, but they've never researched the topic. How are they going to opine on something they haven't researched? I mean, that's really the answer to that. But to your point, many doctors have not done that research, and that is actually one of the thing, one of the pillars that Monsanto relied on when they were discussing the case with the jury. The treating physician uh, physicians of this patient never said in the medical records that Roundup caused their illness. And the answer to that, well, they're not going to say something if they have not researched it. And I said, I did not know in the spring of 2016 when I was called that there was such a link. And I studied it and I researched it and I became convinced. So why would you expect them to opine on something they have not studied? But that's part of their playbook, right? You're going to win the jury. Uh, exactly, exactly. And yeah, but this is also one of the reasons I do this work as well, because I want to inform medical doctors about the link between heavy metals and chemicals and the symptoms and diagnoses that their patients are experiencing, because there's a, a massive link for all, you know, every health condition and symptom almost. There can be an underlying chemical or metal uh, that's causing that directly or indirectly. You know, and that's what I've learned in the research over the last, you know, my research over the last 10, 15 years. Um, so I applaud the work that you are doing and uh, honing in on uh, the glyphosate and, and Roundup. And so tell us where we can get your book. If anyone wants to kind of expand on this and learn what happened with the trial and what what's going on with this and the, the future of, you know, a Roundup in our, 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 our you know, our environment. Where can we get your book? Yeah, it's really, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. Really, it means a lot. I, I really, really appreciate the time that you gave me with your viewers and listeners. The book is available uh, everywhere folks uh, consume books. So it is available on Amazon. It is called Toxic Exposure, the true story behind the Monsanto trials and the search for justice. Uh, Barnes & Noble. It's available through the publisher website. My publisher is Johns Hopkins. So Johns Hopkins University Press also, they can go on and they actually can uh, uh, purchase it uh, through that. Uh, they can get a lot of this information through my website, uh, www.shadinabhan.com. I did tape a couple of podcasts on that. I have my own podcast, which is called Healthcare Unfiltered. I do, co I do cover various healthcare topics. 
not just cancer, but general healthcare topics. It airs every Tuesday morning, and I did air a couple of episodes on uh, toxic exposure on 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 glyphosate. Um, and you know, I mean, I plan to write about this uh, every so often. I, I think that it is uh, hopefully the book gives them a primer of what's going on, um, not in a boring way, in a in, in a way that they understand the 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 system, but in a storytelling way. Because the goal of me was to tell a story. It's also available on Audible. Uh, I narrated the book, so they have to tolerate my voice for a while. <laughs> But uh, it is available on Audible and Kindle as well. But um, it's everywhere folks consume books. Yeah, I didn't do that for my book. I just I just <laughs> didn't get around to it. I should. I really should do that. Uh, well, Dr. Your Navahan. next book. Your next <laughs> yeah, book. Yeah, next one. Well, Dr. Navahan, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, for the show. And definitely encourage anyone wanting to know about this groundbreaking, uh, this court case to go check out your book, Toxic Exposure. Because I think, you know, anyone interested in this subject, you know, glyphosate is really at the center of uh, so many different chemicals. I mean, there's, you know, 42,000 chemicals in use in the United States alone, 100,000 are out there have been developed. Um, but glyphosate is really the, the center point of this and, and what links that some of these corporations will go to, to sell their product. It's something like over 19 billion pounds, I think, a yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are being uh, sold. I mean, uh, the, uh, well, I, I don't think that's yearly, but uh, I'll have to maybe look at total, the stats. Maybe it's but like they've total done probably about like uh, 19 billion uh, pounds um, uh, worldwide since nine, since it uh, became commercial and about 9 billion in the US. And uh, I mean, just there's a lot. There's a yeah. lot. It's all over. And I think one thing about I'll just uh, the one plug about the book is that in, in addition to glyphosate and chemicals, there's a lot of it about legal and medical gems, which is just really understanding what happens in a courtroom, uh, which really applies to things even that are not glyphosate related. I mean, how do the jury react? How do the lawyers interact? Um, how do you really put the witness in a in a you know in a corner i mean things like that that is regardless of what type of lawsuit i do think they may enjoy that yeah that's great you can have uh you know your your toxic info plus law and order <laughs> at the same time so yeah. i love that that's my favorite i love that <laughs> uh well, well dr chaudhary thank you so much for joining us on the myers detox podcast and everyone i'm dr wendy myers and i i love bringing guests from you for you around the world to teach you about how toxins harm your health and solutions, not that you can take back your health and you deserve to feel good. And that's my goal with this podcast is to help give you those missing pieces of the puzzle in your health that you're searching for. But talk to you soon. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.